Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. Enjoy the message. All right, so we're going to begin, as I said, the book of Proverbs today. Let me pray for us. Father, we, uh, we are an incredibly privileged people. Lord, even as we think of uh, the church uh, through the last couple thousand years, we know that it is somewhat relatively recent uh, that a copy of the scriptures can be placed into the hands of, of just about anyone who wants one. And uh, so, Lord, we are indeed a privileged people to have, Lord, your holy word uh, and the access to it. And, and Lord, because we are so privileged, oftentimes we neglect um, just how good it is and, and how privileged we are. And, and so, Lord, we do pray that you would give us a, a greater heart, a new heart perhaps toward your word, Lord, that your word would, uh, would enter in and be as living and active as it is. It would, Lord, cut down into the deep places of our hearts, sort of exposing things that are not of you, Lord, uh, giving us uh, insight and light into the path that we should, uh, we should walk. Uh, and Lord, we're praying that specifically for the book of Proverbs. We ask that you would come, you meet with us. Lord, you challenge some of our thinking, perhaps, in ways that uh, we are off track. Lord, maybe confirm some things that need to be confirmed. Lord, I, I suspect for many of us, remind us of so many of the things we need to be reminded of. And so, Lord, use this word, bring about great good um, from our studying it together. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we finished up a little while ago. It was almost a month ago, maybe a little bit more. We finished up uh, the book of Esther. I can't see you. I got new glasses, so we're going to have a little problem here for about three weeks, and then I'll figure it out. Um, But we were studying the book of Esther for a while. We made our way through that. Then I went to Israel, and we had uh, communion and stuff like that. So it's probably been about five or six weeks since uh, we've been going verse by verse. And that's what we want to do. We want to go verse by verse through the study of the scriptures. Now, of course, I've chosen a book that is very challenging to go verse by verse through. The book of Proverbs is a difficult book to go verse by verse through because in the book of Proverbs, there's going to be a section of it where you have an idea here, an idea there, and you just sort of pop around to all these different ideas. And so we'll make our way through it. We'll do the best that we can. Hopefully you'll give me some grace. Otherwise you'll think, that guy's like squirrel, you know, like ADD. He's all over the place. I'm not like squirrel. Solomon was like squirrel. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to have kids and the movie reference, whatever. I forget. It was about a dog and a squirrel. I forget. But anyhow, sorry, we're studying the book of Proverbs. A proverb is, you can write this definition down or just hear it, it's a short, pithy saying in general use that states a general truth or piece of advice. A proverb is a short, pithy saying in general use that states a general truth or a piece of advice. Now, one of the things that it's important for us to understand about the book of Proverbs and our study of it, Proverbs offers us general truths not necessarily universal promises, okay? The book of Proverbs offers us general truths, not necessarily universal promises. And let me give you an example of what I mean. In Proverbs chapter 3, it says this. It says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Now, that is not necessarily an unequivocal guarantee that you won't get hit by a bus or something and die prematurely, all right? So even though it states there that it will add length of days to your years, 
Uh, Length of days to the years of your life and peace they will add to you. It's not necessarily a universal promise that you will live to be 100 or something like that. Okay, it is a general principle that when the words of this book are heeded and put into practice, generally speaking, it will have the effect of establishing your life in peace and in safety. Does that make sense? So they're general principles as opposed to universal promises. That's an important thing to understand from the beginning. And so we have a book in our Bible that is dedicated to conveying these short, pithy statements as the definition gives there. And in some cases, you have long, lengthy, detailed utterances, a full chapter or a couple of chapters. But this idea of teaching through these short little statements, it's not exclusive to the Bible. And so we're familiar with the little proverbs of our society and of our culture. 1,500 years ago, In China, a fellow by the name of Lao Tzu, he said this, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. You've heard that? Something like that? He said, a picture is worth a thousand words. You probably heard that one. 200 years ago, 250 years ago, maybe even longer, Ben Franklin, he dispelled his wisdom in Poor Richard's Almanac under the pseudonym of Poor Richard, Richard Saunders. He said there, he that lies down with dogs shall rise up with fleas. I really like that one. I want to use that with my kids someday and their friends. (laughs) Ben Franklin said, if you would live with ease, do what you ought and not what you please. More recently, sports heroes in our day have said things. John Wooden, the, the famous basketball coach, he said, it's the little details that are vital. Little things make big things happen. Our entertainers, Dwayne the Rock, can you smell what the rock is cooking? The Rock said this, he said, successful people do what they need to do even when they don't feel like doing it. That's true, right? Our politicians, Newt Gingrich said, perseverance is the hard work you do after you got tired of doing the hard work you already did. Now, those statements, they're not in the Bible, but that doesn't mean that they're, un, they're necessarily unbiblical. If something is true, something is true. The problem is that not every one of the statements that are conveyed by today's sages are grounded in truth. Regardless of how popular or readily received they may be by our society, they're not necessarily true. So Ben Franklin is right when he says, he that lies down with dogs shall rise up with fleas. But he's very, very wrong when he says, God helps those that help themselves. That's not a biblical idea, and it's not a biblical concept, despite the fact that many Christians think that's in the Bible, that God helps those that help themselves. That's an unbiblical notion. And so Every word of wisdom that is communicated in our day, whether that be in the literature that we're reading or the music that we're listening to or the talking heads that are clamoring for our attention on television and other places, every word of wisdom has to be weighed carefully to see if it is indeed true. And so we have to take their words, we have to take their message and see if they measure up to God's word. God's word is the way of wisdom. And it's in the pages of God's word that we discover not only the truth that will impact our eternity to come, but wisdom to live well in the here and now. And that's why I think a book like the the book of Proverbs is so exciting for us to dig into. The wisdom of the word of God is to be highly treasured. This is what it'll say in chapter 4. We'll get there in a few weeks. But in chapter 4, it says this. It says, get wisdom. Get it. Pursue it. Make sure you do what you need to do to get it. That's what it means. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. 
The beginning of wisdom is this, get it. That's the beginning of it. Pursue it with all you got. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland and she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Whatever you do, get wisdom. And sadly, even as followers of Christ, we often neglect the great wisdom and the insight available to us in God's word. Amen, anyone? Yes, we often do. And we know what it might say about certain things, but we can, well, you know, I I know it says that, but, and we can go our own particular direction. The exhortation of the book of Proverbs from the beginning to the end of the book, the exhortation is going to be, don't do that. Don't ignore it. Don't put it aside. Don't neglect it. Now, we know that the book of Proverbs was either written or compiled by King Solomon, who, according to the scripture, was the wisest man who ever lived. If you're not familiar with the life of King Solomon, when King Solomon was younger in his life, this is what is written about his life, sort of a summary of his life. In 1 Kings chapter 4, it says that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. That's pretty significant, yes? It says this in 1 Kings chapter 3, when Solomon became king or was about to become king, he was a little freaked out by the whole process. And God said, well, what, what is it? what's going on? What do you need? What's your prayer? And Solomon prayed for wisdom. And the Lord responded. He said, behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind. Notice, so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. Which that means this, that Solomon was the wisest man that, have ev- that has ever walked on this earth. Do you think you would do well to heed the words that he has written? Certainly, thank you. This one here. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Solomon was supernaturally gifted with wisdom. And that wisdom went far beyond just sort of a book knowledge or a head knowledge. It went far beyond winning on Jeopardy or something like that. But he was a man imbued with the gift from God, with the ability to discern and to know the right word for the right moment in the right time. It was a gift of God. Now, lest you think that wisdom only comes to people through the gift of God, or I sure hope he touches me with wisdom too, lest you begin to think that that's the only way it's transferred to you, Solomon teaches us in his word, you don't have to be supernaturally blessed with wisdom. The purpose of this book is for him to convey wisdom to you that you put into practice. So it doesn't have to be some miracle from above for you to become a person that walks in wisdom. You put the things that you read in this book, you take heed, you obey, and you walk in them, and you will find yourself developing as a person of wisdom. Does that make sense? All right, verse 1. In verse 1, it reads this. Now, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. So right from the start, we learned that Solomon was the son of King David. We know a lot about King David. He was a man who loved the Lord with all of his heart. He was a man whose heart was after God, it says. And he tried to convey that faith to his son. And and so we have mentioned here that these are the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. Solomon was not the oldest of David's sons. It wasn't anticipated that Solomon was going to go on to become the king of Israel. But God, in his uh, divine will, decided Solomon would indeed be the next king to follow his father David. And so he becomes king sort of by surprise, unexpected. And in that... There's this humble acknowledgement. What am I doing here? 
How did I end up in this position? How did I become king? And it's in that humility, as I referenced earlier, that Solomon, when God says to him, I'm going to give you a blank check. You can ask anything you want in prayer, and I'll give it to you. What do you want? It's in that humility of what am I doing in this position as king that Solomon humbly answers this way. When God said to him, ask whatever you shall, he said, give me wisdom. He says, give me an understanding heart to govern this thy good people. And so, you know, as I began to think about that, I began to wonder, if God were to ask or to give me a blank check, Greg, you can have anything you want. First thing I would say is, could I have 500 more anythings I want? You know, that kind of a thing with the genie. You know, you get three wishes. Could I have unlimited wishes? You know, probably somewhere there'd be reference to a beach house, you know, right on the Jersey Shore or something like that. But if you were given a blank check from God, and he came to you in a dream and said, ask of me whatever you want, what would you ask for? What do you value so highly that it would be the thing you would ask God for if given the chance for ask for anything that you want? Would you ask for success? A lot of people would. Would you ask for fame? Many would. Many famous people would ask for anonymity, ironically. Would you ask for riches? Would you ask for those things that would bring you permanent and lasting happiness or peace? But what Solomon asked God for was wisdom. 1 Kings 3.9, he said, Give your servant an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between what is good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your, good, your great people? And God answered that prayer. In fact, we read that he was pleased to answer that prayer. He was so impressed by that prayer that he would go on to say this. He said, Because you have asked this, Ask for wisdom and not ask for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies. But because you have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. I will give you, he says, a wise and discerning mind so that none like you who has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all of your days. He says to him, you did not ask for riches or success. You did not ask for long life, but I'm going to give you those things anyway. And what Solomon would discover, and what I believe each of us are going to discover as we make our way through this book, is this, is that the way of wisdom, as a general principle, remember we said that when we started, that the way of wisdom will lead to each of those things anyway. It's going to lead to success in life. It's going to lead to peace in life. It's going to lead to a life of tranquility. It's going to lead to those things that you may have been tempted to ask for anyway, that when the wisdom that comes from God is applied in the lives that we are living, the result is peace and success and long life and prosperity. The key, however, and you may have noticed I've said it a few times already, the key is this, that it's not just that we know about this wisdom, but that we know it and we apply this wisdom. And that's going to be conveyed. So for Solomon, it was just given to him. For you and I, it's going to be something that we learn and we apply in our lives. In some cases, many of us, and and some of us, you know, we're 40, 50, 60 years old. We've been living life a long time. In some cases, there are some of us that need to relearn some things. We've learned growing up in society, this is just the way you kind of do what you do. And we're going to see that that contradicts with the message of Scripture and with the wisdom that comes in the book of Solomon, so, or um, the book of uh, Proverbs. And so for some of us, we're going to have to relearn some things. But the key is going to be to learn 
and to put into action, to uh, hear and to obey. Now, if you know anything about Solomon's life, you know that he began very, very well. I just told you the prayer he prayed when God made him king, that God, in humility, he prayed that God would give him the wisdom he needs to govern God's people. And if you know anything about his life, you know that he doesn't end very well. He didn't finish very well. After about 20 years, he begins to go his own direction. And the very words that he was teaching others, he stopped heeding himself. And the wisdom that he knew that he could pass on to other people, he stopped applying in his own life. And again, as we see, he was a man able to teach others all wisdom. But as his life went on, he was no longer teaching himself. And again, if you know the story of Solomon, you know that the end is somewhat tragic as a result. And so throughout the book, I'm going to try to emphasize, and I would encourage you to emphasize it to yourself as you're learning information and material, is we're not just looking to learn the ways of wisdom, but we want to apply the ways of wisdom. And so as we learn these things, as we hear these little statements, perhaps, that are these little gems of wisdom, like he who lies down with dogs will rise up with fleas, as we learn these little gems of wisdom, continue to be asking yourself, all right, how can I apply this to my life? How does this fit in where I work? How does this fit in where, how I'm raising my children or the community that I am living in and so on? Okay? So that's sort of a background understanding of the book of Proverbs. There's three main sections in the book of Proverbs. The first is going to go from chapter 1 through 9. Then chapter 10 to 15, that's where you get into all these little statements where every verse seemingly doesn't run with the next one. And then finally from 16 to the end of the book will be the final section of the book. And as I said, it's a challenging book because of these short random statements that are seemingly unrelated, uh, but we will make our way through it. In this book, you're going to learn things about, for instance, wealth management. It's helpful, isn't it? You'll learn about tongue management. Anybody here need to manage your tongue better? For those of you that are parents, you'll learn instructions on parenting. Maybe you're a school teacher. You'll learn some valuable things in that regard. You'll learn uh, instructions on dealing with interpersonal relationships dealing with strife and discord, with stewardship and generosity. You'll receive instructions regarding temperance and self-control. In short, in this book, you will learn everything you need to know to live your life well. Sound good? I feel like a salesman. Who wants it? You know, who wants to study the, the book with me? I think the book of Proverbs may be the most practical day in and day out living book in all of scripture maybe compared with the book of James in the New Testament there's one commentary that was written in the early 1800s that I just recently picked up and the, in, the title of the book I think really defines what this book of Proverbs will do the title of this commentary is laws from heaven for life on earth laws from heaven for life on earth and that's exactly what we hope to learn as we move through what God has to say about the lives that we're living here on the earth. And so with that being said, I think what we have in our hand is honestly a treasure. Certainly the entire word of God, but the book of Proverbs here is a treasure that we should embrace, we should look to, and we would be wise to heed its guidance. So with that, let me read the first set of verses. It says, now the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and let the one who understands obtain guidance. 
to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. So right from the start, start verse 2 actually, Solomon begins by giving us his purpose for writing this book. And so in verses 2 through 4, again, he says to know wisdom, to know instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction and wise dealing in the areas of righteousness, justice, and equity. And then he says to give prudence to the simple and knowledge and discretion to the youth. Now, if you look at verse 8 for a moment, notice who he addresses in verse 8. He says, hear my son, your father's instruction. Solomon primarily wrote this book to pass on to his son. But it's certainly a message that, and the wisdom that it contains that is applicable to all of us. So we're just sort of like reading somebody else's mail, but it was primarily given for his son, that his son would grow up to be a man that was wise himself. And so as we kind of peek in on this letter between a dad and his boy, we can learn quite a few, quite a bit of stuff through it. And so writing to his son, he, he writes with the intention, he wants his son to learn, as it says there, to know wisdom. Now, that word wisdom could be translated, and if you could think of this throughout the book, because wisdom is going to be a word that appears pretty much more than any other word in the book, or at least the idea of it. Sometimes it's personified as a woman and she, but it's always referring back to wisdom. Wisdom could be translated as skill for living. That's what Solomon wants for his son to have, skill for living this life. Now, he also says that he wants him to have uh, or to know wisdom and to know instruction. When, when it speaks of wisdom, it speaks of skill for living. When it speaks of instruction, it's correcting wrong thinking. That's what is meant by that term instruction there. Sometimes some Bible versions translate that as doctrine. And so in writing this proverb, Solomon's goal is for his, lunt, his son to learn the skill of living life well and to receive correction in those areas where presently he isn't living life well or isn't living life skillfully. skillfully. Additionally, in verse 2, notice his desire is that his son would understand words of insight. And that phrase there, this idea, the idea of words of insight, it speaks of discernment and discretion. It speaks of not just making choices between what is right and what is wrong, but also between what is better and what is the very best. He wants his son, as it says there, to understand words of insight. And so in writing this book to his son, his objective is, again, I'm just going to go right through, is that his son would develop the skills in life to make wise choices, both in matters of right and wrong, but also in matters of discerning between what is good and what is best. His desire is that his son would be skilled to live life well. And what Solomon wants for his son and what God wants for each of us is that we would be a people that are teachable. We could receive instruction. That we would be open to correction. And many of our lives, we need to be open to correction. That's why we open up the words so frequently is that God might expose the deepest places of our hearts. And Solomon wants his son to be teachable, open to correction, malleable to change. That's a mark of wisdom is when people can be taught. And receive something. He says he desires that his son would grow in discernment and discretion. That he would make choices not just between what is right and wrong. Certainly Solomon would hope his son would choose rightly. But also that he would make good decisions between that which is good 
and that which is best. Wise living, as we will learn in our study of the book, does not just settle for good enough. A lot of people do. But wise living does not just settle for what is close enough. Rather, it's careful to discern between what is adequate and what is ideal. And that's what distinguishes a person that is living life skillfully, is they're continually making those decisions between what is good and what is best. That's the discretion and discernment that he is speaking of. And that's Solomon's desire for his son. That's what he wants to communicate to his son through the words of this book. Now, if you look at verse 3, he says uh, his desire for him is to receive instruction in wise dealing, to receive instruction in righteousness, to receive instruction in justice, and to receive instruction in equity. Now, the word receive instruction is only written one time there, but it applies to each of the words that will follow. And that's why I took the time to emphasize it there. And each of those is speaking about something differently. Now, when Solomon uses that phrase, receive instruction, that term receive means to take something and to make it your own. And so Solomon's desire is that his son would take these words that he is teaching him about instruction and wise dealing and all the other things and to make those his own. The opposite of this would be in one ear and out the other. But rather what he is saying is I want you to hear these things, I want you to receive them, and I want, to make, I want you to make them as your own. It's interesting that this same word for receive four times in the Hebrew scripture is translated as married. And so you, you know in uh, the, the scriptures it talks about marriage being they too shall become one, receive and take as your own. And so what Solomon is essentially trying to communicate in the same way that a husband and a wife, they too become one, What he is saying is, my desire for my son is that the teachings and my son would become one, that he would receive them and take them as his own. The first thing that he desires his son to receive and make a part of himself is wise dealing. Wise dealing is a phrase, and I understand everyone's version is slightly different, but the meaning is still the same. Wise dealing is the idea of being prudent and being circumspect. It's the idea of being observant and being careful. And so the idea is that a person that deals wisely or is involved with wise dealing is a person that's able to observe situations, to observe circumstances from a variety of different vantage points, to sort of pull back and to be able to see what is going on and how it impacts the different areas of life, both my present and my future, both her life and his life. A person that is uh, dealing wisely is observant and careful. They can view things from a variety of different vantage points. And then they can make decisions based on the wealth of information that they were able to pick up by carefully observing. Does that make sense? You know, too often, I think we are too impulsive. And there are some people that take great pride in the fact that I don't think about anything, I just do it. And let the consequences be, I don't know why they are with that language or whatever, but let the consequences be what the consequences are going to be. That's not very wise. You're a fool if you're going to do those things. No offense to those of you that are like, yeah, that's me. Oh, sorry. You know, I didn't mean it. Solomon's desire, God's desire for us, Solomon's desire for his son, is that we would learn the skill, wisdom, the skill of slowing down, taking things in, processing information, and then judiciously making the decisions that we make. It doesn't mean necessarily you're always going to make the right decision, but you're probably going to, generally speaking, make the right decision in doing that. 
The second thing Solomon wants is for his son to receive instruction in righteousness. And this is the idea of receiving, making a part of himself, taking as his own, and knowing that which, the difference between that which is right and that which is wrong. Receiving instruction, here we're talking about uh, that which, knowing that which is right and that which is wrong. And of course, in the society in which we live in now, everything is perceived to be relative. I'm not sure there's anything that is right or wrong in our society anymore. Everything is relative, it seems, in the society in which we're living in. So often you will hear the phrase, well, what's right for me isn't necessarily right for you, or what's right for you isn't necessarily right for me. Believe it or not, and contrary to prevalent opinion, there are things that are just wrong in God's eyes, and they should be wrong in our eyes. There are things that are just wrong in God's eyes. God does present a standard of that which is right and that which is wrong. There are moral absolutes that are meant to be heeded, not debated. There are moral absolutes. And so just because something feels right to you or it feels right to anyone else does not necessarily make that thing right. And so when Solomon says that his desire is for his son, that he would receive and take as his own instruction, what he's hoping for his son, his desire for his son, is that his son would learn to distinguish between that which is right and that which is wrong, and then walk in the right. That's his desire for his son. Thirdly, in this verse here where it says to receive instruction, he says receive instruction in justice. Now this has to do with and it deals with matters pertaining to law and society. And as I think about our society in which we live in, how privileged we are, for the most part, to live in a society that is based on law and order. Now certainly our system of uh, law and order, whatever, uh, legality, our system of law is not perfect, and it doesn't always work out ideally as it's supposed to, but it's pretty good when compared to other places in the world and certainly other places in time. And so here Solomon wants his son to be a fellow that is skilled in matters of law and justice in society, both in the way he deals with other people and hopefully the way in which he can influence society as a whole for good. And so he says that he might receive instruction in justice. And then he also says that he would receive uh, instruction in equity. And that goes with the previous term, the term justice there, And this equity would be justice applied properly. So it's one thing to know what is the right thing to do, whether that be in a legal stance or not. It's a whole other thing to actually go and do it and to apply that equitably, regardless of a person's wealth or race or whatever it may be, to know it and to actually do it. His desire is that his son would learn these things and then apply them fairly and equally in in the life that he lives. So he wants him to receive these things. Now he continues in verse 4, continued purpose for why he's writing this book, that they might, these words might give prudence to the simple and discretion to to the youth. I've already used the word prudent earlier when I was describing wise dealing, and there it had to do with living life carefully, living life with circumspection, kind of stopping, pulling back, and observing things from a variety of different vantage points. Here, the word is used, and it has to do with living life craftily. Now, you might hear that, and we think of people that are crafty, and they, they had a scheme, and they had to get by on people, and they're usually a cheat, um, or it's this idea of sin and deceit. 
but rather when Solomon is using the term here, he's using it more in line with an expert in a craft. So when he says craftily, he's referring to a person that is an expert in a craft. And for Solomon, what he wants to convey to us and his son is that we would become experts in the craft of living life skillfully or living life well. The skill of being the skill being the wisdom that he's able to pick up and apply in his life that he is going to live. That's what he means by craftily, an expert in the craft of living life with skill. And so in this verse 4 here, he, says, he talks about prudence, he talks about knowledge, and he talks about discretion. All of them have to do with carefully or craftily applied knowledge to the skill of life. Does that make sense? So they all go together, living life with skill. So let's, let's just go back. What does Solomon want for his son? He wants his son to grow, to be a man that is skilled to live life well. He wants, a, a man, he wants him to become a man that is able to learn from his own mistakes and learn from the mistakes of others while making the needed changes in thinking or actions as, be, as may become necessary. That's a long sentence. So he wants his son to be able to learn from his own mistakes, learn from the mistakes of others, and make the corrections as needed to live life well. Okay, it's the second thing that he wants for him. Third thing is he desires that his son would live life with care and discretion, being observant of life's circumstances, viewing things from every angle, and then using those observations to make careful, well-thought-through decisions marked by wisdom in life. Fourthly, he desires his son wouldn't just hear these teachings in one ear and out the other, but rather that he would hear them take them as his own, and make them a part of his daily living. And ultimately, his desire is summed up in verse 4 when he expresses his wish that his son would take all of this information, apply to to his life as a skilled artisan, applies their particular craft in the work that they do. That's what he wants for his son. So let me ask you, if your son or daughter, if you're a parent, or someday you will be, if your son or daughter grew grew up to live life in those ways that I just described, so now they're an adult, they got their own family, whatever it may be, they're out of your home, and they're living life in the ways that I just described. Would you be satisfied with your job as a parent? Would you feel like you did a good job? Would you pat yourself on the back a little? Would you contact some publishing company about the books you should write on parenting because of how great a job that you previously did? Yes, you certainly would. As we study this book, you would do well to remind yourself regularly that that is what God desires for your life. That all of those characteristics that in your mind you're picturing your son or daughter living out and that you would commend your son or daughter and even yourself for the way you raised your son and daughter, that God's desire is that they would be the marks of your particular life. His desire is that you and I would be skilled to live life well. That we would be like a sought-after artisan in the craft of living life. And some of you know that there are, there are craftsmen that are out there that are just so skilled in their particular job that there's a waiting list for years to get them to come and do that project at your house. That's God's desire for your life, that you would be, a skilled, you would be skilled in living life well, a sought-after artisan. And his desire is that we would be guarded and protected from the consequences that come because of the errors that are so often prevalent because either folks don't know the way of wisdom or they don't apply the way of wisdom. And he wants to protect us from the consequences of those decisions. And so with all of those purposes in mind, Solomon then says this in verse 5, and so let the wise hear. 
Let the wise increase in learning. Let the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their, wit- and their riddles. Not their whittles. Their riddles, actually. And so going back to verse 4, whether you are simple, and we're going to spend time throughout the book, it comes up many times, defining what that is. And so whether you are simple or naive, or as it says in verse 4, you're just simply inexperienced, you're youth, and you don't know. Or as it says in verse 5, or you're wise and you possess great understanding. And so you take the spectrum, whether you're way over here and you're naive, whether you're here, you just don't know yet, whether you're over here and you're wise and you have great understanding, wherever side of the spectrum you're on, Solomon reminds us, these are words for you. And what I suspect is in some issues, you're very wise, you're over here. But in other issues, you're perhaps you just don't know yet and you need to learn. And then there's other issues where you think you know, but you don't know. And you think you do, and you think you got your little way that's going to work out, and all the rest of us are like, oh boy, look out. It's coming your way, buddy, and so on. And so wherever you find yourself, these are the words that can establish your life. These are the words that can provide you the needed skill to live life well. And if you're already wise and you have great understanding, these are the words that will allow you to grow even wiser still and to obtain even further guidance than you presently understand. So wherever you find yourself, I'm quite certain, I'm absolutely confident that the Lord has something for you in our study of the book of Proverbs. And it's not just interesting riddles, and it's not just catchy phrases to learn, but it's words to hear, to receive, to take as one's own, and then to apply to one's life. And so we're going to start our study of the book of Proverbs. We'll really start diving in Not next week, because we have the special service uh, for the 20th anniversary, but two weeks from now. Amen? That's it. That's all I got. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, I find myself, uh, even when I completed the study this week, of just being uh, eager and anticipating what's going to come next and uh, the things that we're going to learn. And Lord, even in saying that, I know that my tendency, our tendency, when wrong thinking is exposed is uh, to initially rebel against that, to defend myself, uh, whatever it may be. And and Lord, I pray for each of us that rather than having that response, Lord, that we would sit and we would come ready, eager to hear what it is you have to say for us. Lord, that our, our desire, our humble desire, would be that each one of us would be people whose lives are marked by wisdom. Father, that the lives that we are living, Lord, according to the ways of wisdom and according to your ways, Lord, would bring glory to who you are and just how wise and good and strong and capable and what your great desire is for each one of us and that your name would be praised above all names. And so, Lord, teach us, grow us. We thank you for being able to run through this book, study this book together as a body of believers. Bless our fellowship as we do. Knit our hearts together. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. If you would like more information about the church, its ministries, its worship services, or its small groups, please visit ccmercer.com or download the church app to your phone.